You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Joseph was worried when he found out that Mary was expected a baby before their marriage had taken place. He wondered if he should put off the wedding altogether. Then an angel appeared to Joseph in in a dream and said, Don't be afraid to have Mary as your wife. The angel explained that Mary had been chosen by God to be the mother of his son and told Joseph that the baby would be named Jesus, which means Savior, because he would save people. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had told him to do and took Mary as his wife. At that time, Augustus Caesar sent an order that all people in the countries under Roman rule must list their names in a register. This was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to their own towns to be registered. So Joseph left Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. Joseph went there because his, he was a family from the family of David. Joseph registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now pregnant. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have the baby, and she gave birth to her first son. Because there were no rooms left in the inn, she wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. Hey, good morning. As you can tell, we're doing stuff a little bit differently today. And uh, so Merry Christmas uh, to your season. We're looking forward to uh, this new series entitled Christmas Playlist. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different songs that evoke Christmas emotions and tie them into the Christmas story. So I hope you'll, uh, you'll enjoy this series. Uh, I'm looking forward to it um, a whole bunch. And today we're going to be thinking about one of the songs that's one of my favorites. It's an Andy Williams song entitled, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It's Andy Williams' song. It portrays a family singing. Uh, They're around a campfire. They're roasting marshmallows and just having a good old time, having a party. And uh, what Christmas should be, right? Well, thinking about s'mores... This coming week, we're actually doing a s'mores station uh, for Smeckenfest. And so it would be great for you to sign up and to register um, and to be a part of that. But anyway, so sorry, sorry. So back to Andy Williams' song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It, it creates an image in our mind of an idealized Christmas, what Christmas should be like. You know, like a wonderful Christmas card or one of those fantastic Hallmark Christmas channel movies or um, it, it, everything is just right right i mean even even though it's in the middle of july it's it's snowing right and so we have this idealized image of what christmas should be and it, it's actually a false image a sense that christmas is the pinnacle of happiness and reality for many of us this season is a difficult season it's not an idyllic season at all. It's actually a season of adversity. It's a season of struggle. And so this song can, and songs like this can sometimes make us think that everyone else is experiencing Christmas differently than we are. 
But in reality, for many of us, it's, it's not like that. And so today I want to spend some time thinking about the story of Christmas and how it is a beautiful story, but it's also a story of adversity. We saw just a little bit ago, someone just read from Matthew chapter 1 and from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at those passages. But in Matthew chapter 1, it's the birth story of Jesus from, Matt, uh, from Joseph's perspective. Now, Joseph, as you know, had been re- recently betrothed or engaged to Mary. And being engaged in, in that day was a little bit different than maybe today. And so in the day of Mary and Joseph, the first part of getting engaged was your family joined with you, especially the, with the man, of trying to find a potential bride. And once they decided, hey, this is a young lady that I would like to pursue, the family would go and talk to the other family, in particular the husband, and would offer up opportunity for them to become a couple. The second part of that betrothal or engagement is whenever they said yes to being engaged, the second part was they offered a bride price. And the bride price was a... um, the groom's family offered something to the bride's family, and um, if they accepted it, they would offer up that up, and it would seal a covenant between the two. Another part to this engagement was also the dowry. So if the family of the bride said yes, and they received the bride price, they would in turn offer a dowry to the bride's father uh, the bride's father would offer it to the bride and to the groom-to-be. And this would be usually money or something that they could sell that would have a value, and it would help them start off as a new couple after their wedding. Then also there would be a gift exchanged between the groom and the potential bride. And he would, if she said yes to the covenant, that they would, in the midst of that, he would offer her a gift. And usually that gift was something similar to a ring, and she would wear it to symbolize the commitment. And he would wear something like that as well to symbolize the commitment that they were making to one another. Because one of the differences between engagements maybe today and back then is that in that moment, because of all the exchanges of gifts and all the commitments that were being made, it was as if they were married. Their only way that you could break the covenant, but between an engaged couple was to, to divorce. And so it's a very serious commitment that these two were making in that moment. So it's not just like today accepting a ring. There's a lot more layers to it. The third part of the covenant was the wedding. And on the wedding was an interesting deal is that they would have that engagement moment and then the husband-to-be would go back to his house, to his father's house, and would spend a time uh, preparing a room on his father's house for the potential bride and his family-to-be. And so for a period of about 9 to 12 months, the son would go back and he would begin to prepare the room. And anytime someone asked him, what, when, is, when is your wedding day, he would say, only my father knows. Because it would be easy for the groom-to-be to um, hurry up the process in, in anticipation of his wedding day. And so he would say, hey, only my father knows the day. And, and usually it was between 9 and 12 months for them to prepare the room and to be ready for the wedding day. Well, 
So you have that moment. And as soon as the uh, father said, hey, today's the day, they would leave the house and they would begin to uh, walk through town. And as they're walking through town, uh, the party would begin boisterous and louder and louder and louder because there's more people coming and um, usually it happened at night and so they have their their lanterns and they're going through town they're making noise and they're on the way to the bride's house and when they would arrive at the bride's house they would say your bridegroom has come for his bride and in the meantime during this nine to twelve months the bridegroom the uh, bride to be would have been preparing herself as well and so she would have been learning those final lessons that she needed to learn to, to be a caretaker of the home. Her mother would be teaching her new things. Her father would be explaining to her what it was like to be married as well. So both of them in this 9 to 12 month period are preparing themselves for their wedding day. But not just the wedding day, but for the, for the marriage to come. And so on the day of the wedding day, they were fully prepared for not just that day, but for their future. And so... Joseph, as we know from the story, found out after he had already been engaged to Mary, found out that Mary was with child. And we understand that that was about four months into the pregnancy, that she had um, had an experience with an angel and the angel told her that she was going to have a child. And so in the midst of, of the excitement and the questions and the confusion, she went away to visit with a family member named Elizabeth. And when she came back, it had been about four months. And so she shows back up to Nazareth, and she's been with child now for about four months. And Joseph recognizes that, hey, that something has changed. And so as a righteous man, Joseph had two options. Because of what he suspected was adultery, he had two options as a righteous man. One was a public divorce, that he could go take Mary publicly to court and and, and pursue a divorce. Or... He could pursue a private divorce, that he could find a lawyer and he could take a couple of witnesses with him and he could privately divorce Mary. And so if he takes her to public court, obviously this is going to be something that's going to humiliate her and also possibly lead to her death because the penalty for adultery in those days was stoning to death. And so that could have been a possible option if Joseph had taken her to the public court. However, in his mind, Scripture tells us, in his mind, because he had compassion and empathy for Mary, he decided that he was going to go the private route. And so by the private route, he would have two to three witnesses that would gather in a, in a, with a lawyer, and they would discuss what the divorce would look like and how he could move on, but also, more importantly, how Mary could move on. And she wouldn't suffer the humil- public humiliation and also the public opportunity. Potentially the, the public death um, because of the, what he suspected as adultery, right? So Ju- Joseph, in a dream, an angel shows up, and, and in the dream, the angel shows up and says to him, Hey, Mary did not mess up. Mary is actually with child that the Spirit of God overcame her and that the child that she is carrying is the Son of God. And so Joseph was told to, to marry Mary and to name the son, to name the child that they're going to have together, Jesus, which is Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. It's Yeshua is the shortened version of Yehoshua, which is the name that we hear as Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And so Joseph understands through his dream that, that God has 
made Mary with child, and this child is going to be a special child, and it's potentially the Messiah to come, the Messiah to be. And so Joseph decided to be obedient and to take Mary as his wife, and they were married a few months later and uh, became a couple. And during this entire time of their marriage, before Jesus was born, he said and decided and followed through with no relations with Mary. Now, Jesus was a popular name in the first century of Judaism. It was, it was a name that beckoned hope. It was an awaiting of people that were awaiting a, a Savior. And so uh, awaiting Yahweh's sending of the Messiah. And so Jesus was a common name of the day. But Joseph was told by an angel, name your son Yeshua. Jesus saves. The Lord saves. So Joseph marries Mary, but withholds that physical relationship. And then Joseph with Mary had to head to Bethlehem under the Roman rulership to give an account for the household for tax purposes. It was something that they were required to do. And, and so Joseph takes off and he takes Mary with them, which is interesting because Mary wasn't required to go. But I imagine that the rumor mill and the gossip and all the different stuff in Nazareth was probably getting a little much. And so Joseph and Mary take off together. They go to Bethlehem for tax purposes, but also maybe even more than that. As we understand that God is working out his plan, that they end up going to Bethlehem to have a child, which is a part of the prophecy. And so his marriage had delayed their trip. And so that made him a little bit late. And because they were a little bit late, there was no room for them in the inn. And there was no space for them. And so someone that they knew created extra space, obviously because Mary was with child and they had to be there anyway. And so someone they knew created extra room for them. So now think about that's Joseph's perspective. But what about Mary's perspective? And Luke, Luke, we know that Luke had become a good friend of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as you read through Luke and even Acts, you can see that Mary's influence. It even says sometimes in, in Luke's version that, that Mary kind of influenced the stories. He got a whole different perspective of some of the stories of the gospel because Mary was there and Mary was sharing her heart with Luke. So here in Luke chapter 2, we get a little bit of Mary's perspective of the birth story. And as we know, an angel showed up and spoke with Mary that she would be carrying the Son of God. And I, I can't imagine being 12, 13, 14 years old and, 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 and you're, you're looking forward to being married, uh, which is, you know, today that's pretty young, but back then it was pretty common. So here's a young lady who's looking forward to her marriage and all of a sudden, an angel shows up in the shock of that moment, but then also to tell you, hey, you are going to be with child, and this child is going to be the son of God. So in the midst of all this, you can imagine the emotions. She goes and she spends time with her cousin Elizabeth with several months. We know it's at least three months, almost four months. And she returned back to Nazareth when she was about four months pregnant. So you can imagine she's starting to show there's a little bit of a change in her body in this moment. And so Mary and Joseph, um, Joseph in this moment finds out that she's pregnant. So he's, as we said, he had things to, to think about and decide. But in the midst of all this, Mary and Joseph were married after Joseph's moment with the angel. And he'd considered setting her aside, right? But when he suspected her of adultery, but it was the law to divorce her. 
And so you can also then imagine that she comes back to Nazareth with, with fear and trepidation, not only of like, what are people going to think, but, but what's my future husband going to think? Because she knows full well that he's going to suspect something different than what the truth is. And so she shows up and, and, and she knows that the law is, is that Joseph, as a righteous man, should divorce her. But he doesn't have to. She had, he had a choice to make in that moment. And so Mary and Joseph go through a difficult time. There was adversity in their relationship. There was adversity at the beginning of their marriage. And Joseph, as a righteous man, chose the empathetic path. He, he heard a word from the Lord, and he was obedient to that. He made the decision to not only not divorce her, but to marry her. And then after the marriage, as we know, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles from Nazareth. And, and the reason we know that, that it's that long is because somebody's measured it, right? But also because they probably didn't go through Samaria. They probably took the longer route. The shorter route is 70 miles. The longer route is 90 miles. And, and it wasn't an easy trek. And she's fully with child. It's almost time. And she decides, hey, we're going to get on a donkey and we're going we're gonna to travel together for several days. It would have been at least three days, if not four or five. They were together in the midst of this season, difficult season, leaving the gossip and the stuff behind in Nazareth and heading to Bethlehem. And it's interesting to think that because of the gossip, and this is just my, my, my figuring, is that there's talk around Nazareth about this new couple, Joseph and Mary, and that they go to Bethlehem. And, and what is kind of, they're kind of pushed together as a couple to go to Bethlehem, but behind the scenes, kind of like God does, coincidentally, God pushes them to Bethlehem so that they can be in the house of David, so that they can be in the city of David, which was prophetic truth about the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in the city of David. It's interesting for me, and maybe it's interesting for you, to think about that God in the midst of our adversity, some of those things that we ask God, why this? How come this is happening? Is that God makes us uncomfortable and he uses people around us to push us out of our comfort zone, to put us in the places that we need to be at the exact time, at the exact place for the right reasons. And I believe that that is totally true for Mary and Joseph as it was become uncomfortable in Nazareth. And so God moves them together to Bethlehem so they can have this child under the census and for tax purposes. And so in that place, in that town, in that place where there was no room in the inn, the Son of God was born. God is quietly working and doing what he does. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Forced there by a Roman ruler for full prophecy. God quietly doing his work. The decree required Joseph to get there, but not Mary. Listen, here's what I believe. Is that Joseph, Jesus' birth points to poverty, obscurity, rejection, and adversity. It also points to hope. Jesus, Yeshua. God saves. Yehoshua, Joshua, Yahweh is salvation. In a day and age where we work hard at building images 
and trying to recreate Christmas cards and songs and movies, trying to forget and or medicate away our reality, we can have hope in Jesus. Despite our circumstances, God is quietly at work in our lives. As Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Today, as we enter into the Christmas season, not all of our lives are going to be like an idyllic Christmas song. It's not going to be picture perfect like the Christmas card that you're going to get, or it's not going to be the Christmas movie on the channel of everything works out just right. We live real lives, and sometimes our real lives have adversity. We lack hope. We have struggles. We have issues. But the beautiful part of the Christmas story is that God, in the midst of that adversity, uses that adversity to work out his goal, to work out his plan. And 2,000 years ago, God used adversity to give birth to his son in a manger, in a room with no end, so that you and I could have hope even today. So in your life, may I pray that you would have hope, hope in Christ and Christ alone. Not in your Christmas presents, not in the things that you're going to buy, or not in creating this special situation, but in Christ alone. Christmas playlist. It may not be perfect, but if it's in Christ, it's complete. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.